Welcome to Not Fair, the podcast, where we call out the inequalities, obstacles, or just plain inconveniences that stand in our way. I'm your host, Zoe Mitchell. On today's episode, noise pollution. While it might just sound like an annoyance, noise pollution can have real effects. Researchers in the European Heart Journal published a study about the effects of noise pollution around London's Heathrow Airport and found that it increased the risk of stroke, heart disease, and cardiovascular disease. Another study from the Institute of Social and Preventative Medicine found that deaths from heart disease increase when loud noise is endured over a long period of time. Today, two stories of how noise pollution affects two communities in Boston. First, reporter Aaron Wade on the story of a community advocating for quieter skies in their neighborhood. If you live in the shadow of Boston's Logan International Airport, you probably expect it to be pretty noisy. But if you bought a house further away in the Boston area's outlying cities and towns, you might not expect your days, nights, and weekends to sound like this. Yeah, it's pretty low. It's quiet. <laughs> it's a quiet one. Baby. That's from an interview with Melissa Fassel Dunn. We live in East Milton, and we is Melissa, her husband, and her three kids. And the city, you know, it's not super suburbia, but it it, it still is the suburbs. I mean, ultimately, we still are ten miles from Logan Airport. As you can hear, airplanes flying over Melissa's home are pretty noisy, and they fly overhead every minute or two, except really late at night. But that hasn't always been the way things have sounded over her house. And so we were pretty surprised when this RNAV went in. About five years ago. And I should clarify that RNAV stands for Area Navigation. It's just a way of routing planes coming into or leaving an airport. Flight paths tend to get narrower when a runway starts using RNAV, and this means more compacted noise for the people living underneath, like Melissa. Um, we thought that it was pretty much always going to be that same level of, of noise from when, we, from when we moved here. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we left because of it. it. It's just really impacting our lives very negatively. RNAV isn't all bad, though. The Federal Aviation Administration says it reduces fuel use and emissions. About five years ago, Massport, the Massachusetts Port Authority, started using RNAV on a couple of runways that hadn't had RNAV before. That includes the one that routes planes over Melissa's house. The 4R flight path. And another one called 33 Left that gets a lot of complaints too. And who's the guy who hears those complaints? I'm Wiggs Amore. I've lived in Somerville for a little over 30 years, and um, I'm on the Massport Community Advisory Committee as Somerville's representative, appointed by the mayor and the Board of Aldermen. And I was for 10 years the Somerville representative to the Logan CAC, which is the precursor to the Massport CAC. Wiggs says that in his community, Somerville, the use of RNAV has moved the planes away from the communities that are already getting the most noise from non-plane entities. Um, they're less over the environmental justice population, which is in eastern Somerville, and, and which gets all the highway and diesel rail pollution, so the most, the most burdened part of Somerville. But he also says that it's hard to make everyone happy here. Moving the airplane noise off of eastern Somerville makes things a little fairer for eastern Somerville. 
A couple other places are getting an RNAVI break from airplane noise too, places like Alston and most of Cambridge. But here's the rub. The communities that now see more noise still want a break, and that can come at a price. Well, most of the proposals that local communities come up with um, are proposals that benefit themselves at the expense of other populations. So it's very, very difficult. Um, and sometimes there are communities that, that establish stronger political connections and make headway temporarily in shifting noise away from themselves and to other communities. So is this still happening in airplane noise activism? And what other solutions exist? Is there a way to help everyone? Luckily, we don't have to go very far to find someone to answer these questions for us. Turns out Melissa is... I am on the board of Fair Skies Nation. And I guess we officially formed, I want to say this past spring, we became a nonprofit. Um, and it, it started from a number of groups together, sort of grassroots people that have been working on this really for, I, I want to say since at least 2011, but I could, I could have that wrong. There's been a number of kind of grassroots efforts, you know, um, without a whole lot of results. But what we've noticed is, you know, there's a grassroots effort in Milton, and then there's one maybe in Belmont and one in Menford. And what we're trying to do is bring everybody together. Because I think one of the um, unfortunate things that happens is people start infighting. Well, if you don't get the planes, I'm going to get the planes. And if I, you know, I don't want the planes here, but you can go have them there, you know. So what we're really trying to do is to get a fair disbursement across a number of towns by getting all of the towns involved. For you, you've chosen to both advocate for changes to the flight paths and to potentially start looking at homes elsewhere. Are you working with families that that's not an option for? For some of the people in our group, it absolutely isn't an option. I mean, it's not certainly not a fun option for us. We invested recently a lot of money into our house to expand it so that it could accommodate our family. Um, we, we love where we are. We love our location. Um, and so it's not a great option for us. And for some people, it's simply not an option. You know, they might be on a fixed income. They might own their home. Um, with the housing market the way it is right now, it, it might not be good for them. So, yeah, there's people in our group that it's not an option, which is, which is why ultimately, whether we move or not, we're still going to advocate like crazy for, for fixing this. It's, it would be hypocritical and awful not to <laughs> advocate for something that benefits people's health. So I know that Roxbury gets a lot of noise, but they have a lot less advocacy there because of the socioeconomics of the community. Um, are you actively reaching out to those communities that are maybe a little bit, maybe have fewer people who are advocating for these specific things because they have other needs? Um, so are you reaching out to them to try to get them involved in the process? I think about the people in our group, you know, we've got people from the South End, from Jamaica Plain, from Roslindale, Quincy, Hull, Medford, um, Belmont, Cambridge, Southie. So if you think about the area, that really encompasses, Dorchester, encompasses everything. I, you know, um, so I think you can get representatives from every town, really, and we have. And I do think we have somebody from Roxbury. And it's funny that you bring this up, because at one of our initial meetings, before we I think it was before we officially formed, somebody from that community came in and what he said was so horrible. He said, 
people in these communities are affected by the planes and they have no idea what to do. Literally, they think they have absolutely no rights, that there's no recourse, that it's almost like they're just totally beaten down. And it's so bad that it didn't occur to them to go to anybody. So I think that there's a ton of underrepresentation and un- also like just so much, um, just oppression. <laughs> it really is oppression. Can you tell me what to you and to your group, I guess, um, a fair dispersal of the planes would look like? So before this satellite-based technology went into place, here comes another one. Before the sal- satellite-based technology came into place, um, they were fairly distributed. You know, we've lived here since 2005, um, and we never we would notice them here and there once in a while. But the difference was they were flying, you know, a mile, a couple miles apart, off the path. I mean, if you picture sort of like a tree, right? You've got all the branches on the tree, and so they're flying in from different branches, and they're not flying over the exact same people. And now you cut all the branches off the tree. And so it's just flying down the trunk and it's straight. So what we're looking for is the tree. We want the branches, you know, we want this sort of fan-like distribution of paths. And the other thing we really need is um, a runway use plan. So basically, if you've flown a lot of planes over the same people, when the next guy comes in, you know, and is directing the planes and you say, oh, well, we already flew out over these people for two hours today. So we're going to we're going to shift that path and we're going to fly it over these people now. And then we're going to shift it again and we're going to be fair about it. Um, you know, so it's it's really all about just sort of sharing the burden uh, surrounding surrounding Logan. Are there any other changes that you'd like to see happen to make this easier on the people who are right underneath these flight pads, are there any improvements that can be made that um, your group is advocating for that might reduce the overall amount of noise? So another thing that can be done is the use of these, they look like chip clips. If you know those little things you put on potato chip bags, it's called a vortex generator. It sounds super fancy, but it looks like, (laughs) it looks like a chip clip. And it's a small piece of plastic and it goes on some of the planes. It's, It's this little device. It's a couple thousand dollars, I think, to install them. And what happens is they reduce that whine. So when a plane lands, it doesn't really help on takeoffs, I should note, but when it lands, when you hear that, it's, it eliminates that. And it's so cheap, and it could be installed so easily, you know, kind of like when you change the plane's oil, put the vortex generator in, and it's not going to cost a lot of money, and it's going to make so many people happy. And Melissa's group, Fair Skies Nation, really isn't the only one that's come up with some of these solutions. In fact, Massport is also thinking about a few of them. Here's Wig again at a Somerville Board of Aldermen meeting in July. FAA and uh, Massport, although they did not complete the plans, in my in my opinion, because they did not come up with a new runway use plan, um, they have hired John Hansman of MIT uh, Transportation and M- Aviation. He's very good technical uh, technical engineer uh, to do two things: a list of small short-term tactics that can reduce noise um, that aren't going to be controversial. Some of them are technical, like putting some 
uh, widgets on the jets that some airlines don't He's want talking to pay for about Melissa's chip clips, those little thingamajigs that help stifle the whine of the planes. Uh, the other, other two things he's looking at, and I'm just going to use 33 left as an example, because every single runway operation has a separate set of tactics that he's looking at right now. Um, but the other two things he's looking at uh, for, for, for 33 left specifically are to change the thrust or speed at which uh, aircraft depart. It turns out that uh, you can fine-tune how fast they climb, how much thrust they have, how fast they're going, and that can reduce the noise by 20, 25 percent in some cases. Um, it's not certainly a panacea. Some people won't notice it, but it, it is a, um, it's low-hanging fruit, and, but it's very technical. Every airline, every, every jet has different um, dynamics on its structure and, and its wind and noise uh, generated. Um, and then lastly, I, I wanted to go to an idea for changing flight patterns on 33 left. Skipping past the things that aren't important for you to know. Okay, here we go. So the proposal that uh, John Hansman is looking at, and this is not as quick a fix because it would take a formal federal environmental assessment, if not an EIR, is to... Um, basically spread the current RNAVs a little bit as they cross the near-in and intermediate communities. Uh, Think Melissa's tree branches metaphor. So as of right now, we don't know what's going to happen to make it more livable under the airplane noise, or if anything will at all. But it sounds like people are starting to hear each other and are maybe exercising a little empathy. And in the end, isn't that what we all want from each other? This episode of It's Not Fair was written, produced, edited, and sound designed by me, Aaron Wade. The music featured in the episode was Silver Flame by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under Attribution 3.0 Creative Commons license. Next up, everyone loves fall. The onset of sweater weather, pumpkin spice everything, colorful red and orange leaves. But one thing that is not beloved during the fall season? Leaf blowers. The noise they make and the pollution they cause. Reporter Lerner Liu has the story. In the Panera Cafe in Newton Center, Karen Lambray, a Newton resident and a part-time physical therapist, said her once-in-a-life experience was ruined by free leaf blowers. One time, my daughter called us in Vietnam, the demilitarized zone. She's never going to call me again from there. And as soon as she called, this, these three leaf blowers started outside our window. And I ran out to them. Can you hold off for 15 minutes? I can't hear on the phone, please. And they wouldn't stop. Bray said she has endured the noise for 20 years as her neighbor used leaf blowers. But what made her an activist was the fact that some users wouldn't compromise. She has organized a group called Newton Calm, Citizens Against Leaf Blower Mania, which wants to ban the machine. I was once in a meeting with three of us and three landscapers and a couple of city councilors, but the landscapers did not listen. All they said was, we must have 77 decibels. We must have our leaf blowers. They, they were just fighting for what they want. 
According to the Newton City Ordinance passed in January this year, noise from leaf blowers should not exist 65 decibels. With a few exceptions, residents and landscapers should not use any kind of blowers before 7 a.m. or after 5 p.m. And in Newton, no gas-powered leaf blower is allowed between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Only one electric blower is allowed per lot during this period. Sometimes they start at 6.30 in the morning, which is totally illegal. And they used to be able to go till 8 o'clock at night. Just today, I've seen plenty of guys who are breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law, making a lot of noise. One day last week, I got up at 9 in the morning and sat in front of my laptop, thinking about a story about leaf blowers. When all of a sudden, I heard a noise. I looked out the window and saw two alpha management workers blowing yellow leaves into a pile. I went to their office and talked to the property manager Marshall Aburubia, who said leaf blower is an efficient way to remove leaves. It can bother people at times. If you live in the building and you hear noise, it's usually from half an hour to an hour at most. Once or twice during the season, you don't really have to worry about you know, stepping on leaves. But for Karen Bray, noise is only one of the harmful effects of leaf blowers. Gas-powered leaf blowers emit carcinogens. They emit benzene and butadiene, which give you cancer. Leaf blowers also blow up particulate matter that's in the street, fecal matter, herbicides, pesticides. They blow up dust. Um, ultimately, I don't think that's a huge concern when you look at the emissions that come from large vehicles. If you could hire several people to you know, stand there all day long and rake, raking and organizing the leaves, it would take forever to get the job done. Whereas the leaf blower gets it done within an hour. Efficiency is also a consideration for lawmakers. In a phone call, Jen Devereaux, a Cambridge city councillor and a chair of the city's Health and Environment Committee, said the city needs leaf flowers to clean its 70 parks and plant fields. I think it's a, a, a delicate balance. If we're going to ban the equipment for residents and homeowners or you know um, property owners, then it should apply to city workers as well to set an example. But that does not seem to be workable. Darrow said the current leaf blower ordinance, which is similar to the one of Newton, is acceptable. The real problems are compliance and enforcement. Many users are not aware of the law, and the people who break the law are not caught. She said the city is trying to solve problems of noise, pollution, and worker protection through education. The License Commission has added additional staff to go around and basically monitor the use and issue violations as needed. The Department of Public Works held a training in September that told all of the workers how to use a leaf blower properly. Our Department of Public Works has also implemented a pilot of using only electric equipment in two parks to see if converting to electric would bring any benefits. Bray said though she wants to ban leaf blowers, she's also willing to compromise. She gave me a list of eight Newton landscapers who obey the city ordinance and use cleaner blowers or even rake if asked by residents. These green landscapers mostly use just a small electric blower, so this is proof that it can be done. These traditional landscapers will say, oh, we can't do our job without big gas-powered blowers. Well. It's not true because it's being done right now.
Bree is pleased with the new city ordinance passed this year. But as long as those traditional landscapers continue with noisy gas blowers, she would not stop the fight. I'm sad that the landscapers in our community are not willing to work with us and have a conversation and have a compromise. They're not willing. It's very sad to me. But I'm pleased about this ordinance and I want it to go further. For Boston University News, this is Lerna Liu in Newton. This has been Not Fair, the podcast. On our next episode, two very different stories of loss via gun violence in the court system. I've been your host, Zoe Mitchell.